Hey friends, welcome to the Christian Heritage Podcast. I'm James Pruch. Each week, our CEO, Roy Baldwin, and I talk about the intersection of trauma, human flourishing, and the church. We hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks for listening. Hey friends, welcome back to the Christian Heritage Podcast. It's just me and Roy this time. No special guest this week. Roy, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It was kind of funny right before we came and started re- you know, recording, uh, we just like, hey, we still, you still owe me, Roy, a lunch and talk about the big idea. I'm like, dude, I don't even know what that big idea was. So you and I have been like two ships passing in the night a little bit yep. when it comes to all of the activity happening here at Christian Herod. So it's good. To, it's good to see you, James. Yeah, a lot has been going on. A couple of weeks ago, we had our Becoming a Trauma Responsive Community Training at the chapel, the Lutheran chapel yeah, that's right. Uh, near the University of Nebraska-Lincoln campus, had a few churches partner, a mm-hmm. few Lutheran churches partner to make that happen and had a pretty good turnout. And those families are you know, taking the first step to be trauma responsive and serve people in our community. And since then, it's just been go, go, yeah. go. <laughs> it has been. I, that was, a, sure. by the way, that was a great... That was I was so encouraged by that to be honest. I mean, just processing with you, but that was such a great event um, to see those in our community and our churches who want to actively engage with becoming more trauma informed. What's that look like? Not only just on a personal level, but you know, what does this look like on a on a church level? Which I think again, at some level, is setting up our topic for the day yep. about this work that we're doing as we're engaging, having conversations with those locally about what does it really mean to become trauma informed, uh, which is going to get into our, I think our topic today. Agree. Yeah. So today we're talking about trauma, human flourishing and discipleship. Uh, we've talked a lot about trauma this season and really some practical ways you can, you can grow in understanding trauma tools and tips to help you be trauma informed and responsive how you enter into those hard situations wherever you're at in life. And today we're going to kind of take a step back. We're going to look at the 30,000 foot view of trauma through the lens of discipleship. And as I was, Roy, as I was crafting the notes for this, I, I was struggling to actually figure out what question it is we want to answer. And so I kind of have a couple questions to frame our time. One would be how does entering into trauma impact our discipleship? Or to maybe put it differently, what does discipleship have to do with helping people heal from yeah. trauma? But where we could start is defining discipleship. And I'll, I'll kick us off here. You know, when I was in seminary, I had to write papers on discipleship. And so I had very nerdy, academic, <laughs> theological definitions of disciple. <laughs> I mean, long, like you. We all did. You could not remember these definitions because they were so long. But then as you know, as I've hopefully matured a little bit and grown and served in churches, my wife and I served in campus ministry hmm. where, where what we did was discipleship. I've really kind of narrowed it down to a really simple definition, and it's following Jesus with other people. I think we can get really individual with discipleship. But the fact is, Jesus had a group of people with him who were literally following him around. Um, I also like to define it as kind of friendship in a Christ word direction. Like Roy and I bond, you and I bond over sports. We text a lot on the weekends at night when we're up late watching those crazy Pac-12 football games, right? And it's like, that's great. Roy and I are both Christians, but maybe we 
don't go in a Christward direction together. You can have Christians who are friends, right? But but discipleship is when when friends are your or when people are your friends and you're moving toward Jesus together. That's one way I like to think of discipleship. So so friendship in a Christward direction. Um, I'd love to hear what you think in terms of defining discipleship, and we'll get into trauma and human flourishing and and you know what does discipleship have to do with that. But if we don't know what discipleship is, we're right. going to be starting from the wrong place. So so that's my best attempt. Those two ideas. Um, how have you de defined discipleship, Roy? How do you think about it? Probably like you, you know, it, it has evolved um, from my understandings of you know being raised in the church in the eighties. Uh, and throughout, I think the church is, you know, is defined that very differently as well. Where discipleship came really special for me, um, and I didn't really know if, that I had such a heart for it was mm -hmm. until camp was until camp ministry. Yeah. Um, and working at camp um, at Monadnock, you know, for six years, uh, it was in New Hampshire. Um, man, that redefined my understanding of discipleship. Um, and the importance of, um, I'm going to oversimplify it, but it really is about, um, for me, discipleship is about being known, um, in, in, in the context of my relationship with Christ, yep. um, and how do I invite others into that space? So it's yeah. not just for me to yep. be authentic in my own journey, my own faith journey, but it's helping others be safe and to be known in their faith journey and camp provided incredible like shared that. experiences around that. And not just for the camper, this is where discipleship became really, really special for me is actually our summer staff. Uh, the staff who became a part of the camp family a little bit and the development and growth towards a deeper understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Um, and that can't, that's not achieved in a Sunday morning service. It's yeah. really achieved in the ebbs and flows, the highs and lows of the day-to-day -day interactions. And at camp, when you're experiencing all of those things together, it became a very, very special experience. I would think not just for me, because I... Cause it's not a one way discipleship isn't one way. It, it yep. was a two way street of not only were they learning from me and our staff, you know, our full-time staff, but we were learning from them and understanding yep. the importance of faith. So not to oversimplify that, but for me, it really is about me authentically letting others into my world yep. through that, le that lens of Christ and then vice versa. It's that two way relationship. I think though that, this the simple is good. I mean, we could say following Jesus isn't easy. It's pretty hard. Sure. But it's not complicated. It's, it's not. pretty it's pretty simple. You're right. You're right. Right? Um You're right. I, 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 Jesus said, you know, the, the the way to following him is straight and narrow. You know, it's mm -hmm. it is hard work to um to continue to persevere. But what Jesus calls us to do is, I mean, he summed it up. He's like, hey, love, love God, love your neighbor. And that's essentially what you're talking about is I have this connection to Jesus and now I'm connected to others. And we love each other in these contexts that we're in together and that in your situation camp, right? So yep. I don't think it's super complicated, but we make it complicated. The, what, what I, something I read yesterday is what really sparked the desire to have the conversation here on our podcast 
if you don't listen to the Lectio uh, 365 app, Roy and I have used that for a while now, probably more than a year. And yesterday's prayer was particularly insightful. And it actually comes from a guy named Pete Portal, who I found out is South African. So that's pretty cool. I lived there once upon a time. Mm. But here's the quote. He said, I once had a conversation with a wise old woman about my desire for our church to gain influence. And I think you could insert ministry, Christian organization, right. nonprofit, whatever, to reach more people, change many more lives. She interrupted me, shaking her head. No, 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 she said. Be careful. More isn't always a sign of growth. You can grow in influence, have lots of people, more money, more buildings. But if you haven't grown in the presence of Jesus among you and in his love for the poor, then what you're talking about isn't healthy growth at all. It's just swelling. And swelling is what happens when something is infected or broken. And so I think it's really easy to get to slip into this. Discipleship means growth because that's true, but we equate growth with more or bigger or better. And so this, this idea of swelling has like haunted me for the last 24 hours. <laughs> and so here's the question beyond trauma informed, trauma responsive, just still big picture, you know, is our discipleship, the church's discipleship, is it infected? Is it broken? You know, we love the church. We wouldn't be talking about this if we didn't. Right. This isn't to throw shade on any one church or person or denomination. It's a capital C thing. You know, is our is our discipleship here in North America infected? Is it broken? Yes. You're the CEO. I'm going to let you answer. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. We've talked about this. Yep. When when we look at when we look at just straight up data and I, and, and there's a lot of data that would substantiate, do I believe the church's discipleship is infected or broken? Yes. Yeah. So when I look at generation Z and mm -hmm. you look at, you know, faith transmission in and of itself, yeah. look at Gen Z's love of God's word. Mm -hmm. uh, you look at their understanding of the inerrancy of scripture. When you look at just that data alone, it's alarming. Yep. Um, you see that in the colleges, you're seeing that in the seminaries. Um, so you're seeing this as one, as one scope of, of data that would support that. The other part of that, I think is, you know, I've talked about this is the important role that families play in discipleship. Yep. The hand my kids off to the youth group leader mm. is, is at some level is not a model that is showing from an outcome perspective that kids are growing and thriving in their faith. Um, so we'll go back to Vern Benston's study, uh, faith and families that came out about 10 years ago and really looking at that mom and dad are their children's number one pastor. Yep. Um, they're the greatest influence on their child's faith. But when you think about how most churches are organized in structure, it doesn't bring the family together. It actually separates the family out. Hmm. And so we don't emphasize the important role that mom and dad play in the transmission of faith with their own children. And so those are just two points, I think, that would substantiate that some level our understanding of discipleship needs a radical overhaul and why it, it is about swelling. Uh, than it is about um, flourishing. And I think that ultimately is going to get at the heart of our conversation is what does really flourishing look like um, in discipleship? Yeah. I, in our last episode with Amber, you know, she had, she kind of made this, it was a 
joke, you know, like, oh, when when my kids were younger, they said, oh, mom, you talked so much. And we kind of laughed about it and so much right. talking. But we know Amber and we know that what she was also doing was modeling. She wasn't just talking. And so then right. in our conversation with her, we, we went on a little bit and talked about the importance of modeling. And you're getting at it right there saying mom and dad are so important, not just because they talk a lot, but because they model their faith. And I think in a previous episode, correct me if I'm wrong, we discussed the importance of it doesn't really matter what you say if your behavior is different and right. contradictory. Right. And when I think about discipleship, like Jesus didn't just go say, hey, go out and preach good sermons like me. He's like, go do what I did. Yep. Go love people. Go touch people. Go heal people. Literally do what I have been doing and I've taught you to do. Well, and, and that really gets at the heart of, I think, the infection or the brokenness that we're seeing is because so much of discipleship in our North American context has become, what can I put into my brain from a teacher, a pastor, a book, a, a Bible study guide? And those are not bad. Like, they're not bad things, but it's insufficient. It's incomplete. I absolutely agree. So again, I think you look at Paul's writing and most of he's, he's like, look at how we have lived. Yep. Look at how, what we have modeled for you now go do right. So it, again, just that's getting it to the heart of discipleship. Discipleship is about modeling what an active, vibrant faith looks like. And again, yep. back to faith transmission. And we think about discipleship, the key aspect of discipleship has to happen in the home. It, it has to happen in the home. That That is the front line when it comes to faith transmission. It, it is not what necessarily happens in a Sunday morning service. And not to diminish that, right? We will get really upset about mm -hmm. the, how, the important role that plays. It plays a very important role. Um, but again, if that's just happening for 90 minutes once a week and you feel like that is going to be adequate enough for your children and for your grandchildren someday to, to believe what you believe it's, it's actually what you do outside of that 90 minute service that is actually going to have the greatest influence on your, ch your children. It's how you resolve conflict. It's how you express and show love. And this is, again, everything we've been talking about this season has been around TBRI felt safety, yep. emotional warmth and connection. That's discipleship. Yep. It, that is discipleship. And, and I think we have to make that shift in our mind about that. And I think that gets back to Deuteronomy 6 too, mm. is I have to love the Lord, my God, with all of my heart, strength, and soul. I can't give or impress these things upon my children if I don't have it. So I can't give what I don't have. This is true about discipleship. But again, it, it's, it goes beyond. It's, this is where all things lead back to the church is you have to model that. You've got to preach that. You've got to yep. um, provide the right programming to support those efforts, not pull away from that. And I think that's what the church has to ultimately own. Agree. Another thing, I, you know, one of the things is we talked about, by the way, I love Lectio 365. If you're not, as an app, when it talks about just really nurturing the right you know, the right, your own, own spiritual health. I, you, yep. you and I've loved uh, Lectio mm -hmm. 365. I was really struck by this comment as well about, you know, his understanding about what growth looks like. Um, and, and, you know, in terms of church influence, um, I, I actually asked you to listen to a very popular national radio show and we won't, I won't say what it was. And there were some things that really encouraged me about 
listening to the radio show, but there were some things that really made me cringe. And I think it goes in line with what Pete was talking about. As soon as we start talking about impacting our communities, we quickly shift to serving more people, building new buildings, raising more money. You know, it, it, the, the statement was made where there's right, where there's vision, the money will follow. And by the way, I agree with every aspect that that happens. But if we're strictly looking at growth in numbers as by which we value our impact and discipleship, then we're completely, I think, completely missing the point. I think it becomes what we're building, our own kingdom building versus us advancing the kingdom, which is go and make disciples. So there is a depth to which you know, understanding human flourishing really should be, by the way, the 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 goal of discipleship. It's not growth of numbers. It's growth of understanding the long-term faith impact that we want to build within, you know, our, our current people that we're serving, but the generational impact that that will have, that's the growth. Mm-hmm. The growth might not be immediately today, but it is for the generational impact of then how we do that. So I think we have to reframe yeah. what we believe about what success looks like, what influence looks like, and really having the long game in mind, not that short term, what might look yeah. good on a P&L sheet or you know your numbers of people sitting in your pews. I think those are inaccurate things to be judging your success. I mean, when you look at the examples of Jesus's parables, right? I think there was a, I think there's actually a really good reason. Maybe, maybe I'll be able to ask God this question when I'm, when I meet him, there's a really good reason Jesus came at a particular time and place when their, when their culture was agricultural in nature and nothing was instant. Everything was slow. Almost all of his parables had to do with growing things and being patient and it takes time. And I really think that if Jesus would have come today, we'd be like, well, I, I got an app for that. I, it can, it goes up to space. It comes right back down. I can text someone in Japan and they get it immediately. Right. But back then that wasn't the case, right? Agreed. So mustard seed takes time. There's no greenhouse, you know, GMO factory where you can produce a mustard seed in you know, a, a full tree in six months. No, it's going to take time. Well, and, and we've wrestled, it, right. The organic nature of discipleship lends well to that. It takes time. Right. And we've wrestled with that here at Christian Heritage. When we, when we've talked about what are, what ultimately is going to define Christian Heritage, it is not defined by how many kids we're serving. It, it really comes down to children well-being and flourishing. Yep. And we're in a field by the way that when kids age out of the system, we are we are we are um monumentally failing children within the foster care system. Um kids aging out, right? 70%, you know, their their future is prison, it's human trafficking, it's homelessness. Like we we can do we can do so much better. And I think it's so what we've resolved as an organization, and we've had so many conversations about that is we're not okay with like we're not okay with yep. that. Yep. So what do we need to significantly to do that? And by the way, that's not a, a fault on you know the incredible people that work in this field. There are many people that that give yep. everything to help children and families in the in the midst of this. But what we've said is not how do we grow our numbers? We're talking about can a child, can we reduce that 70% for kids who come yep. in, in and through 
you know, the Christian homes, the organization that we're running is what's it going to require of us to see children flourish? That's the long game for us because, because right. The high percentages, if we don't do that, then those kids that we have served, then their, their kids are going to end up back in the system. And then their grandkids are going to end up like at some point, when do we, when do we sever that? And I think that's the point that we have wrestled with this as well. Hmm. Um, and we want better well-being. Uh, we want better outcomes for kids. And, and so as we mobilize God's people to do this, what, what we're really asking and inviting people into is discipleship and evangelism. We are. Right. And so I, I don't think discipleship and evangelism are all that different. Agreed. You are bringing someone along toward Jesus together, and you are still communicating the gospel and the, the beauty of Jesus and the scriptures together, whether someone is not yet following God or they are. <laughs> like, it's the same content. You're working from the same source. And, and so when you think about big picture discipleship and evangelism, like, you know, they're not, they're not two different things. I, it's kind of like two sides of the same coin. Agreed. Are, are they following Jesus yet or are they not? Uh, so when when we think about the ministry that we do here at Christian Heritage, it's not just a preaching, teaching, word ministry, right? We're inviting people in to live out yeah. following Jesus. Model it. You can actually do discipleship and evangelism for a child and a, and a parent without being preachy. And right. you're going to have the chance to talk about Jesus. You're going to have the chance to share the gospel because the gospel eventually needs to be spoken. But this is evangelism and discipleship lived out in the context of everyday life, which for the most part is pretty slow, pretty boring, pretty mundane. It's not that exciting. It's not crowds of 50,000 people all, you know, listening to a great sermon or singing together. It's the stuff of life. It's, it's entering into the messiness of life. And that's what Jesus did. Yeah. Uh, and that's what he's calling us to do. That's what we get to invite people into. Yeah. You know, that it's so good. It reminds me of, um, you know, an article that, uh, Jed, Jed Medifin, uh, wrote, um, and, and he's the uh, CEO of Kate, CEO, right, CEO of Christian Alliance for Orphans. Yep. And um, one of the things that he wrote in a theology of foster care, which if you get a chance, you know, really highly recommend reading it, but he's, mm -hmm. he wrote children and families involved in the foster care system have tasted the world at its most broken. Yep. When we welcome them into our homes and our hearts, we share in that hurt with them. We mm -hmm. trust that amidst the trials, we can experience an unparalleled fellowship with Christ. In God, even the very hardest things can be the source of great good in our lives and in others. And, and so for me, what he's defining is this discipleship yep. in evangelism. And, you know, you and I were talking about yep. this. When we start talking about trauma-informed care, we're talking about, I believe, the, the, our, a new understanding of what we believe about discipleship and evangelism. Yep. Um, I, I really do. I think to really be effective in our culture today, you have to be trauma informed. It's not, 
uh, maybe I'll get to that someday or I need to come. No, you need to understand what it means to be trauma informed because it will heavily influence then what you believe about the gospel and then how you communicate the gospel. I think you, James, I think you do a great job of articulating that in our becoming a trauma responsive trainings that mm. we're beginning to, you know, help come alongside the church and understand or gain a new perspective of what we believe is gospel centered, uh, yep. that's discipleship focused. Um, and I would say evangelism expressed. Yep. In yeah. terms and of and for those who haven't taken the training, I mean, the little taste of it is we talk about helping people to belong before they even believe in Jesus. It's what you do in foster care. It's what you do if you're a host home through our families together program. It's what you right. do if you're a mentor. It's what you do when you bring food or diapers or mow a lawn. You are communicating through your actions and through your words that you belong to my community, even though you don't, maybe don't believe the same things that I believe, even if you don't come to church or you never come to church. And I think sometimes Christian, we just get in this trap where we're like, man, I'm, I'm doing this. I really want them to come to church. I really want them to believe in Jesus. It's like, yes, of course. But if that's why you're doing that, you're really not loving them for them. So welcome them in as Jesus did. I mean, he welcomed Judas. Like, think about that. He welcomed him in, and we get the privilege. We welcome people in to belong to our community before they even believe, even if they never believe, because that's really between God and them. We just get the ch we get the chance, the privilege to be ambassadors for yeah. God. That's what discipleship is. That's what evangelism is. It is really at its core level. And yeah. that's and you think about it as what does it have to do with trauma? It's right. entering in Jesus. Think, oh my gosh, he he left a perfect place to come here. Talk about trauma. <laughs> Talk about Jesus experienced trauma by living here. Yeah, and he entered into our trauma and he welcomed us. And then he was, you know, he's turned. He was turned on. He was denied. He was yeah. forsaken. Philippians two. I mean, this is I. You know, it is yeah. it is an absolute living out. Philippians two or Romans five. Yeah. I, I think we, mm -hmm. we, we have um, become blind to, you know, this Romans five and we think that, well, Christ, you know, Christ died for us. Well, you know, we were still sinners yep. there, you know, he did that work before we even understood or would yep. ever accept that work. And I think you're absolutely right. We have, we've, we have created conditions now with that very work of evangelism and discipleship. I think that is a massive blind spot, not for every church, but I think in general, yeah. it has become a blind spot. And so you're right. We, and we, through Christian heritage and becoming trauma informed is we believe that we are living out Philippians two Romans five in that, in that regard. We'll, we'll kind of wrap up here. Yeah, uh, this has been good. But I, but I, these I, are still good, important conversations to have. They really are. One thing I'll I'll add, or we'll end with, is you know I that quote I read from Pete Portal. Yeah, I put I put on Facebook yesterday, and I had a lot of people comment, and you could sense their angst, and that they felt this, and it was mm -hmm. a wide variety of people, different backgrounds, different experiences, all mm. of them Christians. I, I know all of them personally. And I, and I, I made a comment later in the night as I was reflecting on what some people had, had posted. And I just, I said, this resonates with all of us because we sense it, we feel it, we can see it. 
but I would be willing to bet most of us, including myself, feel helpless to fix it. Mm. We don't know what to do. And I'm, I'm saying this as somebody who, again, has served in ministry. My wife and I, together, we've had these conversations for years about there's something broken. <laughs> what do we do about it? Right. What was comforting to me was even if as a collective, we don't know what to do, I'm not alone in feeling this. Roy, you're not alone in feeling right. this. Right. And I just think that shows there's great opportunity for the church right now to say, you know what? The status quo isn't good enough. We just can't keep doing what we've been doing and expect different results. Hmm. But we've been doing what we've been doing for probably the last 70, 80 years in the church in North America. And it's time for, again, we talk about this in our training, a radical reorientation right. where we get we get the the opportunity to think and live differently and go really go back to the beginning. Well, and I, I think the only way to get there is honestly through, through repentance. It's, mm -hmm. it's humbling ourselves. Um, it's humbling ourselves and really, you know, being open handed to the things that God is, is calling us to. And, you know, I think here in the work that we do, and I'm reminded this all the time, James, of the conversations, the stories, the hardships, you know, we, we are reminded on a daily basis here how broken our world is. And what I love about so many of our staff here is they are the ones literally running into these situations mm -hmm. and, yep. you know, feeling that. Um, but that's what I love. What we've got to do, and I feel like this is the work that we're doing, why we do these things is we, we want to say that you're not alone in how you're feeling and there's people who are doing something about it. Um, Good. we're not just complaining. We're not just whining about it. We're not, we, at times, do we feel helpless? Absolutely. Um, but this is why the community connection, God's people, and then watching God show up in the yep. midst of all of that. It's like, he, he continues to give us the signs we need to stay in the game, to continue to fight the good fight. And that's what we see in scripture is stay in the, stay in, fight the good fight of faith. And that's what we do. Uh, here at Christian Heritage. It's a good word to end on. We could talk about this for hours and maybe we, we will. <laughs> maybe we'll come back to it again uh, soon. Always All love right, talking to you, bud. Absolutely. Great conversation. Yeah, thanks, man. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Appreciate you spending some time with us. We'll see you next time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Christian Heritage Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, and share so more people can find us. If you have a question to ask or a topic you'd like us to cover, you can reach out to us at podcast at chne.org.